Hello and welcome to another episode of Podcast Open Mic. I'm Lorenzo. And I have in the studio with me, Bill Stamey. Welcome. Thank you. And um, tell me a bit about yourself, please. Okay. Well, first let me just say thank you for having oh. me on here. I'm honored. Of I really course. appreciate it. Huh. Uh, I live in Maine now, but I grew up in Memphis. Uh, and I grew up in a, maybe not musical, but music-filled household. My mother did play piano and sing and taught me a little bit of piano as a young child, very small. And uh, my father loved uh, Elvis and Buddy Holly and Merle Haggard and all these guys, and he always had that sort of thing on. And he was really good at embarrassing kids, you know, by riding around with our friends in the car and singing along and that sort of thing. And so at a young age, it was all sort of normalized to me to just be involved in, in the music itself, even if, even if it was just a recording. But I got my first guitar around, I think, five, a little Roy Rogers guitar. Uh-huh. And because I already understood a little bit about the treble clef through the piano and my mom, I realized the book had a little instruction manual about what notes were on the neck and as a... a probably five-year-old, I started picking out little melodies and that sort of thing and and learning to play that way. And I got some really good advice really early on that it's important to try and hear the melody and everything and play it. But when I was that young, I had a lot of trouble just tuning the guitar. And so I had to figure that out first and, mm-hmm. and work through that. And over several years, as a, as a small kid, I didn't have any formal lessons or anything like that. And uh, I think around 12, I had some pocket money from a birthday or something, and I bought a, uh, I bought a book on, on sight reading guitar, and I learned how to do a little better. And then I could check out books at the library and, and learn, because uh, like a lot of people now don't realize, of course, there was no YouTube back then. There weren't right. thousands of guys showing you how to play Bruce Springsteen or something. And so I, I learned through books mostly until... About that age, I, I took lessons at a local music shop and realized most of the o- older guys who were probably only in their 20s or something anyway were all a good resource too. I would go in the music store and just ask them, how do you, how do, you do this? And uh, eventually I took guitar from a guy who taught at the university named Bob Sally, who was fantastic, just really opened the door for me on uh, what... I guess most people would call diatonic harmony, just figuring out inside of a key how chords work and all that sort of and thing. And this is at what age are you learning 14. This? Okay. So uh, I spent that summer working with him. The guy charged five bucks an hour. And so once a week he would drive to my house and teach me guitar, and that was wonderful. And uh, following that, I just played in a bunch of bands in high school and... and uh, Probably didn't have too giant a set of aspirations, but I started getting sort of the big head about it and, and feeling like I was better than I was. Mm-hmm. There's no probably there. <laughs> but but anyhow, I, I went to music school for a couple of years after high school and eventually bailed out because I was playing in all these uh, bar bands and in Memphis bars would stay open until three in the morning and there was just no yeah. getting to I'm from New York originally they stayed yeah. stayed open until four. So oh <laughs> even worse. Even worse or maybe even yeah. better. But if you're lugging your, worse. if you're lugging your gear home at three thirty or whatever and 
uh, and, and that's, if you're lucky, it's hard to get out of those places, but if you look in your gear home, there's no making it to a music theory class at eight in the morning and right. trying to sing half diminished seven chords or something. And so after a couple of years, I bailed out of that and just played in bands for a while. So Memphis seems like an amazing music town. Was it true? Or? It was at the time. We're talking uh, 1980s, 1990s for me. I was in, uh, I graduated high school in 1985. And I grew up just two miles away from where Stax used to be. Now Stax mm-hmm. is a, a museum, a, a replica of what it used to be, but it was torn down when I was a kid, which was horrible. But, but all those musicians were around. You, know, you could see Steve Cropper in the grocery store or uh, Rufus Thomas, you know, just walking down the street, Booker T, uh, Booker T and the MGs. You just yeah. see these people. And uh, some of them were kind of familiar faces to me. And then I'd see them playing at some music festival or something and think, oh, that guy. <laughs> I didn't know that's who that was. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of great experiences that way. It, it is such a great town, it, at least. And it still is. I still visit a lot. I still think mm-hmm. it's a great town with a lot of very cool people and places. Uh, I haven't lived there since 1998, but I still have family there. But it was great up until then. It was wonderful to play music in Memphis. And was it directly from Memphis to Maine? No, no. So I played in bands until uh, 98, and then I, I actually went to medical school at that point. I'd had a big sort of crossroads in my life it was really over a few things uh, and uh, I decided I needed to do something different and and during that year uh, my father became critically ill and wound up in a in an ICU and for two weeks I thought he was not going to make it and at the end of that two weeks he did make it and he's still alive uh, but I realized I was standing in a, in a spot in my life where I wanted something different Mm-hmm. And that different thing really presented itself to me there. I thought, this is fascinating. You can really help people. And I became a doctor. And that uh, took a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I can't I, imagine. Uh, yeah, it's not something I would repeat. Uh, but uh, especially, that's not actually true. The medical school part was incredible. It was beautiful. Just beautiful. The, the uh, internship, residency, and fellowship afterwards were like hard labor and uh we're talking 100 hours a week in the hospital that sort of thing now they have work hour restrictions and all that stuff sort of started when i was going through my training but they grandfathered in people who were already there so it was it was a little bit painful yeah why do you want a really tired resident treating yeah you don't want that so that that took me to johnson city tennessee for medical school in Tampa, Florida for a year of training in Houston, Texas for more training. And then in 2007, uh, I was all done with all of that stuff. So I, I moved to Maine with my family at that point. Mm-hmm. And so what's your practice? Are you a general? No, I'm a neurologist. Neurologist. I, I, uh, I did a fellowship in movement disorders, so I see a lot of Parkinson's disease and things like that. Ah. So. Fascinating, yeah. I, yep. Yeah, it's a different I was, scene. I imagine most of your musicians that come through the door don't don't have that kind of history. Sounds a little bookish and nerdy, probably, but but it's really fascinating. Great. So, when did you uh, get back into music? Uh, I, I don't think I ever 
got out of it. I just couldn't do it because yeah. of all the time. I mean, even during, even during residency, I would meet up with people and play and things like that. I'd be exhausted, but I didn't play in bars and stuff. Not, not much. Occasionally I would sit in and play with somebody during that time. But, but once I got into practice, the, the first five years are really hard. You really have to, like anything, you really have to spend that time learning what you're doing and, and trying to perfect it and, um, and feel comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And so after that time, so we'll say 2012 or so, I started trying to get back into music uh, around Maine, uh, which was really hard for me because uh, in Memphis I was so connected. I knew all these other musicians and um, it just wasn't hard to get into a band or find out who's looking or what have you. But here it was a guy in his 40s and didn't know anyone and uh, I did start playing with some people I played with uh, a really great guitarist here in Maine named Stuart Taylor I'm not sure what he's up to now but he's fantastic and uh, he introduced me to Myron Samuels and we Uh, played together Um, Myron came over to my house first and we played there and then we played it actually a benefit for is it called the time dollar yes yes yeah we played a benefit for them, and uh, we played a couple of times at the Deer Run Tavern in Yarmouth. I don't think it's there anymore, the Deer I Run. I don't believe so. They used to do a big open mic and things like that, and we uh, played there. Stuart and I played there a few times, and then uh, we started playing gigs there, and Myron came and played with us. Uh, it was a good time. He was a great guy. He was. He was. Um, so you're still in practice? I yeah. am. Okay. I am. And how much time do you spend with the music now, would you say? I play every day. I've always played a little bit every day, at least you know, an hour or something. Mm-hmm. Like I, I wake up in the morning and play, that sort of thing. So sometimes I have to wake up at five or something to make that happen. But, but I play every day. And, and for the last few years, I've played in a cover band with a bunch of great guys. Most of them are doctors and they've been playing together for 25 years in the same band. And when their guitarist moved away in 2018, they asked me to uh, to play with them. And so after about 9,000 practices, we played a gig together and it was great. It was mm-hmm. a really great time. It was not until sometime in 2019 and we played the Frontier in Brunswick to uh, a sold-out crowd. It was a fundraiser. Uh, we sold 200 tickets, which was great. But we were in that room. I don't know if you're familiar with the Frontier, but you walk in and there's a room to the left as you're going okay. in. And it's a great room, but better for an acoustic outfit or something. It's all glass and wood, and uh, there wasn't a lot of acoustic treatment going are on. Are you billed as a, uh, a doctor's uh, cover band? No. Okay. no well... Not really. I, okay. I think everybody knows they're mostly doctors. The, the bassist is not a doctor, but he's sort of a professor. So <laughs> they're a bunch of great guys. When when we play, we're not a bunch of doctors. We're yeah. a bunch of guys who play R and B and rock and stuff like that. What's the name of the band? Who knows? Uh, <laughs> for uh, for a long time, they had uh, they had the name uh, Doctor Whitebread and his Jam. Uh-huh. And uh, when Dr. Whitebread left, they had to pick a new name. Uh, so we're still sort of in limbo about that. Currently, uh, we don't know. Okay. It's probably going to be some variation on 
backstage something. That's what they keep saying, but I have no idea. His name wasn't actually Dr. Whitebread. No, that was okay. his nickname. Oh, okay. That was his nickname. He was a blues guy, and so he thought it would be funny to call himself Dr. Whitebread. <laughs> Good player. Nice guy. Scott Schaefer, I should say. Okay. Yeah. So um, you have some uh, recordings yes. here. Yeah. So, um, so is that is it you basically playing with yourself? Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let me rephrase that. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's mostly me. Uh, what happened was all this pandemic shut down. You know, I wanted to keep playing, and in 2019 with those guys, I thought we're going to get out there and play and this will also allow me to meet some other people and do some other music too and I can get a couple of projects going. But the pandemic happened. So yeah. then last year I wrote some songs and I recorded everything myself except for the first track. The first track is called Blind Spot and uh, Scott Mills, who's the drummer in the cover band, uh, graciously played on that and uh, um, the keyboardist is John Parker. He's also in the band, and uh, he played on that as well. And did some really great stuff. That song, by the way, I, I wrote. It's it's one of the few times in my life when when something has just sort of hit me all at once. I was walking down the road actually with my wife, and I saw this sign that said "Blind Spot Ahead," and it reminded me of a time before I met her. I was I was actually in a relationship. Uh, where I should have seen what everyone else could see. And afterwards, I used to em feel embarrassed when people would bring it up, and I'd say, yeah, I guess I had kind of a blind spot. Yeah, I think and, we all feel that way. Yeah, sometimes. But yeah. So that song, I saw that sign, that sign, and that song just came into my head, the whole thing, and I had to go home and at least record the bare bones. Okay, why don't we listen to Blind Spot? Sure, thanks. Okay.
So how long did it take you to write Blind Spot? Oh, it was so fast. It just popped into my head. I mean, I had to go home. It was all there. Almost. I had to go home and work out some of the words, but I could hear the whole chorus and most of the first verse, and then the rest of it just sort of fell together. I recorded it that day. And then the next day, the keyboardist came over and put down a keyboard part. That was New Year's Day when he came over and did that. And uh, it took a month or two to get around to getting the drummer on it. I initially played the drums on it myself, like I do on the rest of these, and uh, my drumming's really rudimentary. You know, I'd, I'd love to have a better drummer all the time, or, or I would have loved to anyway. I do now have another band with uh, a bassist and a drummer anyway, and uh, Kingsley Wong is playing drums with me now. He's fantastic, moved up here from Boston, played in a bunch of bands before he moved here. How about your bassist? That is Jeff Sauer. He's uh, he's from Ithaca, New York, and he's uh, he's also a pretty seasoned guy. Uh, just before the pandemic, he was playing in three bands down there, and I think he said he played 85 gigs in 2019. Just worked as a musician. That's that's a it's good company to be in because they're such um, great players. There's a lot of musicianship happening, which I, I really appreciate. The only song I didn't write in the last. Uh, several months uh, was a song called Fold or Lose, which uh, is about a strange topic. So when I was a kid, my father befriended this guy who was his own age. Uh, They were both in, I want to say their high 20s when they met, probably in the 1970s, and I was very young. And this fella um, was a drifter. He was uh, he was a guy who could never really settle down in one place or, or another, and he uh, he had this he, he was six eight, he was really big yeah. fella, and and he uh, he had this huge personality too. He was the kind of guy that could just walk into a room and everyone was paying attention, and within a few minutes they all wanted to be friends, and everyone's laughing and and having a great time. But for some reason, he could just never get his life together and one of the reasons was he had become an alcoholic and he he was always looking for the next drink and uh, so the song is about a time in the 1970s when uh, I was young and and I was with my dad at his office um, which was in downtown Memphis and this fellow shows up and he wants some money and who knows where he'd come from he looked terrible he was shaking and he was in bad shape and he said I need some money I'm, I need some alcohol you know basically I, I need a beer or something now mm-hmm. and um, I think they had been over this ground before because I remember my father said something to him like you've got to stop it's going to kill you you know and just think about it I'll go get us some lunch you know clean up a little I'll pay a few bucks and you can do whatever you want with that but I'll, I'll be back in a couple hours and and he left and when he came back He'd been robbed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not, not a lot. Yeah, but he'd been robbed enough. You know, it was, it was, if you listen to the song, it's uh, it's money in a vending machine, basically. Um, but he'd been robbed, and the guy's gone. And I remember my father was just livid about this, and and uh, I would ask him, well, where is he now, and how is he doing, and all this, because I'd known him since I was small child and moving forward he would show up from time to time and and, uh, anyway 
sometime in the 1990s, I was having a couple beers with this guy, which was really the price of admission for any conversation with him. <laughs> <you know? laughs> and so uh, I asked him about that. I said, what happened? You know, and he said, you know, he'd been taught all the right things. He said, I know wrong from right. I want to be good. I just don't have the will. And so he had this this idea that he just couldn't do any better. He was just made that way. It really crushed me that he thought that way. Yeah. Anyway, that song is that conversation. It's the things he wanted to say to my father, and it's the things he did say to me. There's really not a lot of creativity in the lyrics there. It's just things we talked about. Is it? Uh, I'm a little confused. Did you not write the? Song? Oh, I did. I did. Okay. I, so I wrote it. Kind of. Okay. I, I just took the conversation from 30 gotcha. years ago, or you know, close to 30 years ago, and I said, I'm going to turn this into a song. And that was another one where I just sort of felt the whole thing sort of fall together in an afternoon or something. That's your song. Yeah. 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 Okay. What's the name of this? Fold or Lose. Fold or Lose. Yeah.
So do you play out a lot? I don't these days, but I sure want to. Mm-hmm. You know, I, the the only thing really holding me back is there's been this whole pandemic issue, and uh, I, because of my work, I, I work a lot in the hospital and all this. I, I've seen a whole lot of people with COVID. Yeah, and um, it's real. In case you're sitting out there thinking it's not, <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's pretty awful, and um, I. I so glad a lot of people are vaccinated and being smart about it and uh, and i think a lot of people still have a lot of questions and I, I wish i wish it were maybe a little more clear just how we could be dealing with this a lot better the music scene seems to be getting back yeah in business a little too quickly yeah i, I mean i think to a degree yeah I, a lot of people are crowding into places shoulder to shoulder without a lot of good ventilation and that's probably not a great idea right now so i'd like to get back into more of a playing outdoors kind of thing and i have this crazy hope that things will get better as the summer goes on maybe (laughs) (laughs) chances are we'll be dealing with this for a little while watching it unwind though one of the one of the songs uh, i think the second song on this set of recordings is called get up and it's um it's just about making a shift inside of your own mind about realizing you can do a whole lot of things in your life you you don't have to be held back i think sometimes we're our own worst enemy to be cliche but it's about getting past that and saying i just need to get up and do this
So you say a collection. Uh, do you have uh, an album? I do. I do. I do. So it's a digital album. It's available on Bandcamp. And uh, if, you, if you're on Bandcamp, it's just Bill Stamey. Search for Bill Stamey, S-T-A-M-E-Y. And I think if you Google me and put in guitar or something, it gives you Bandcamp first. Um, but uh, it's, it's my tiny little corner of Bandcamp. Lots of great people are on there. Uh, my understanding is supposed to be uh, mostly unsigned people. Yeah. And uh, it's the first thing I've ever put on there. It's my first time ever putting anything digital anywhere. Does uh, the collection have a title? Or it does. It so a- it's, it's an album. I'm just, I'm just I, maybe a self-doubt. <laughs> maybe self-doubt. It's kind of an album. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's a digital album. It's not. There's nothing tangible, you know. Um, my my dream was always to hold a record oh, in yeah. my hand or something, and uh, it, so it's an album. I called the album "Get Up," and it's it's sitting out there. It's available only on Bandcamp <laughs> so far. <laughs> Very exclusive. All right. So uh, one one more upbeat one is called uh, "Sugar," um, like the way we pronounce it down south. Mm-hmm. S-U-G-A-H. You know, Did you have a southern accent at some point? This this is one of the variations on a southern accent, believe it or not. But uh, I, I think I was more, uh, more of a southern accent person in the past, but uh, I don't know, sort of evaporated. Well, my wife was born and raised in Maine, and she mm-hmm. has no sort no, no, yeah. You know, sure. The thing in their voice. Sure. So. I, I think a lot of it too is it was partially raised by the the television. Uh, <laughs> and Mr. Mr. Rogers and Big Bird didn't have funny accents, but also as a, as a very small child, I did speech therapy for a while, and my uh, therapist was from the Midwest, and she used to I can't do her voice really, but she would say, "Say it exactly like I see it," you know, and, and <laughs> I think I think that warped a little bit of the accent out of me also. So, sugar. Sugar.
So tell me a bit about writing that. Oh, that that uh, that's a, a standard tuning. All these things are in standard tuning. I guess I don't adventure much into alternate tunings or whatever, but uh, I was thinking about these open sort of styles of playing that a lot of blues people do where they're droning E's or low E or A or something and playing the higher strings with their other fingers. And it was one night last, uh, I think it was last June, June 2021. I was just sitting around in my kitchen and it just sort of happened. I thought, I like that, you know, the, the lick. And unlike some of the other songs, it didn't hit me in a flash. I just played around with it for a really long time and then I kept making it too complicated trying to put other little pieces in and there's got to be a weird bridge or something and it has to be some kind of funny chord change and and then one day I just sat down and I thought I'm overdoing this and I stripped it all back down to where it started and recorded it and the lyrics are really not about anything heavy it's just about Someone who doesn't want to be embarrassed by me naming her. <laughs> this song is Move On, is the name of it. Uh, and when I was in my 20s, I was in this band in Memphis, and it had been this uh, great experience where uh, another singer and I got together and wrote a bunch of songs together, and he did the lead vocals on everything, and I did harmonies and stuff. Um, he had an amazing voice, just a really uh, great singer. And But he wasn't good with uh, you know, music theory or, so, or song structures. He had, a, he had a general sort of directional idea, and so he and I wrote mm-hmm. all these songs together. I wrote the music, he wrote the lyrics. And in a pretty short time, we put together a band with another guitarist and a bassist and a great drummer and everything everybody was fantastic and we we uh, started playing a lot and we were really fortunate we got a following going and and uh everywhere we went we would have you know somewhere between 100 or 200 people in a bar listening to us and i thought this is it i'm, I'm finally in a band that is going to take off and and we'll have a lot of success and um we played at a uh, show where uh, it wasn't a a producer showcase but we played uh, I think we were playing next door to some sort of showcase people searching for record deals Mm -hmm. and one of the label reps came up and said you know I really like you guys and we got into this big conversation and um, pretty soon we were uh, into a publishing deal which uh, my understanding though is it's the lowest tier of a recording contract. (laughs) It's it's what you give people who have nothing else to choose from. But uh, it was still still a high honor and an excellent thing to happen. But, you know, they put you in the studio, they give you just a little bit of walking around money so you can be in the studio and they probably will release your record or maybe they'll decide well it's not quite for us we'll give it to a subsidiary or we'll market it to someone else but they also own the publishing which is why it's called that i guess and they can give your songs to some other artist too so that's that part's not great but none none of that really happened what what happened was we got in the studio and we started recording songs and we had i think about 30 original songs by this point we had really pumped it up fast and um uh 
we recorded a few of them and the lead singer turned to me one day and it was like some switch had flipped and he said, I can't go and into perpetuity with this music. We were a rock band. He said, I can't, I can't do rock. I guess in the nineties we were sort of an alternative rock band. Mm-hmm. He said, I, I can't have my recording go down in history as a rock recording. That's just not substantial enough. And I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, cue the eerie music, you know? And, and, uh, he said, I, I think we ought to be more like Jerry, man, you know, like Jerry Garcia, yeah. jam band, the grateful dead and all that sort of thing. And, and there's another twist. Um, and there's nothing wrong with Jerry, of course, you know, the grateful dead. Awesome. Mm-hmm. But we were not like the grateful dead at all. And, uh, the other thing he wanted to do was incorporate some Latin jazz to this. You know, like he was really into Tito Puente and stuff. And, and my first question was, where does that come from? <laughs> you know, I don't know how that fits together, but, it, and it probably would be a cool fusion, but it wasn't what we did. Mm-hmm. And, and my argument then and now is we're not going to keep our deal. If suddenly we turn into whatever that is, that's not what they were banking on. And, uh, and the whole thing fell apart. We lost the deal. The band fell apart and it all went down in flames and I can laugh about it now. But at the time it was like watching a car yeah, crash in slow motion. Yeah. Oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. I was in my mid-twenties, and I thought, this is it. I'm about to take off into the world of music. And I have to learn congas. Yeah. No, <laughs> no I, don't, I don't know what I'll do. But, uh, yeah, it, it all went south. So years went by before I could really process that. I had to stick it in a mental closet or something. And, uh, and then one day I pulled out all the old recordings that remained and listened to them, and I thought, ah, this is not bad. You know, this, is, this was good stuff. I wish we had... Wish we had done this, and um, and so that song "Move On" is about that. It's it sounds like some kind of anti-love song, but it's really sort of a letter to a bandmate. Uh, so this is you. This is not the the old band. Then. No, no. This is a new song. You know, a "Folder Lose" I wrote a few years ago, then recorded last year. Everything else I wrote in the last several months and recorded uh, by uh, I think I was done by February of this year, twenty twenty-two.
influenced you? Who's who's your go-to? On the guitar? Uh, or, sure. Okay. We'll start there. Sure. I, so so uh, like I mentioned earlier, I, I grew up in a house full of music, and and I have uh, brothers too. I have a uh, couple of elder brothers who were always listening to things, and my father was always playing things, and. You know, when I was a very small child, I would sit in front of Hee Haw and watch Roy Clark and think, wow, you know, that guy's amazing. And he was. You know, if you go back and listen to him, Roy was great. But I think by the time I was a, a teenager, I most wanted to emulate Jimi Hendrix. I just, especially when you listen to Little Wing and Castles Made of Sand and things like that. I just, I was so baffled by that. How does he do that? And, and I would try mm-hmm. play, and play records over and over again, trying to figure it out. And it took me forever to either, I don't know if I figured this out or more likely someone told me, probably at the music store, no, no, you got to tune your guitar down about a half a step. He's, he's just tuning down. That's why it's so hard to pick all that stuff out. And then once I did, I, I figured out how to play my versions of those things. And, uh, and over time, uh, he, he's always been sort of a cornerstone of my guitar playing. I think the guy was a genius, you know, and, and died so young, it's a pity. Uh, but I, I listen to so much other stuff too. I mean, I'm a big Al Green fan, and uh, uh, what's his name? Teeny is it Teeny Hodges? I played with him. Uh, um, you know, Catfish Collins and uh, Jimmy Nolan, and all these people that played more funk stuff. I really mm-hmm. like them, and uh, the Meters, and you know, all kinds of bands. Um, I'm also, I went through a big jazz phase where I, and I still, I mean, not out of my jazz phase. I love that stuff, especially like the fifties up through early 1960s, kind of blue, blue train, all that stuff, Miles and train and Kenny Burrell. And, and of course, Wes Montgomery's amazing. Now these are people that I'm mentioning that inspire me, but I don't play like that. Mm-hmm. Wes Montgomery who plays like that. Um, you know, they're giants, but honestly, I mean, I have to say, I I played with a whole lot of people in Memphis, uh, most of whom nobody's ever heard of, and and every one of them was great in some way. I learned all kinds of things just playing with people. And I always tried to get into bands where I'd have to play up. There's somebody in the band who's so much better than me, and and I'd learn things from them. And, uh, you know, back to my comments earlier about being kind of a a big-headed teenager, I I went through a phase, this is so embarrassing, I, I... was 16 years old, I was already playing in bars a little bit. And I went through this embarrassing <laughs> phase where I would walk up to other guitar players, professionals, and say, I'd like to play with you sometime. We should meet, you know, just <laughs> overconfident. And, you know, some of these guys would humor me and play with me and stuff. And um, I learned a lot through them. But uh, through doing that, I learned uh, again and again that I ne- needed to meet someone named Sean Lane, uh, who was a Memphis guy. And he was. Uh, he was such a nice guy. I got his number. I called him up and I said, um, people keep telling me I need to meet you. And he said, people keep telling me that too. <laughs> <And laughs> I didn't realize at the time that the joke was kind of on me there, but, but it, 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 he was, it was so sweet. Went, he said, come on over. You know, I went straight to his house and, and, uh, and he, I think Sean was a couple of years older than me. He's gone now. Um, but, he transformed my mind, you know, just, just, uh, the, I've never played with anyone who was as amazing on any instrument as him. And I, I think he had some, uh, savant type gifts. You know, he could just hear 
everything. It didn't matter the style of music. He could play anything. He could play any weird King Crimson time signature or whatever Robert Fripp is doing or if Pat Metheny pulls something out of a hat. He introduced me to Alan Holdsworth, not in person, but to the music. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he literally introduced me to Eric Johnson. He was, he was uh, so connected to all these people. But I, I took lessons from Sean for a while, and uh, he, he still influences me. Uh, as I mentioned, unfortunately, he died several years ago, but, uh, but he was a giant in Memphis. And really anyone who's heard him around the world, he's, he's all over YouTube and that sort of thing. So he's another, he's another huge one. But uh, all of these great guitarists that everybody loves influence me too. I mean, who, who doesn't love Billy Gibbons? You know, the guy's amazing. So how about songwriting? Yeah, that's tougher. Uh, the Beatles, Al Green, Ray Charles. Yeah, they're good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, again, they influence me, but I, I don't, I don't for a moment think I'm close to those guys. But yeah, the, there's so much beautiful music in the world, and uh, it's hard not to just absorb. I, I hear things all the time that I think, "Wow, what is that?" And I have to stop and figure out what I'm hearing because there's so much out there and so much we'll never hear. Yeah. So what do you want to do next? What's down the line for, uh, for me? Yeah. Who knows? Um, I, I'd love to get out and start playing. I'm, I'm trying to gear it up with these guys, um, writing more songs, recording more songs. If the, uh, if the digital album thing doesn't end in utter embarrassment, maybe I'll put another one up. Um, I'm hoping actually to re-record some of that with these guys because the arrangements we're playing now, I, I just feel so much more alive than, than what I did myself. Although I'm, I'm not unhappy at all with any of it. I, I like everything I put out there. Does it feel like a work in progress when you're playing with the, uh, the band? With yeah, with with Jeff and Kingsley, uh, again they've got such good heads for music. They're they're good at saying, "Hey, you know, what about um, playing a real drum part here or something like that?" But uh, they're both, seriously, they 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 bring so much to the table that it's uh, they're the same songs structurally for the most part, but there's just a lot more happening. Mm-hmm. So I, I hope to keep going with that. I, eventually, I'll back off a little bit on my uh, day and night job and start transitioning more into more music, uh, hopefully. But again, we're, we're in such a weird time. So yeah. it's hard to imagine next fall feeling super comfortable. I, I, hope, I hope we are. I hope we're in a better place. But I'll keep playing music. I've, I've, always, I've always had a, a real problem with not playing so you look for Bill Stamey on uh, Bandcamp. Mm-hmm. Anywhere else? Do you have a website or anything? No, not yet. I, I'm told I need to have a social media presence, but... Yeah, it's overrated. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Bandcamp's huge. You should go on there and see me. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Would you like to... Uh, any other number you'd like to uh, play? Or? Uh, go, <laughs> sure. There's, there's one more, sure. Okay. Uh, the, uh, the the last one is called uh, Get Your Mind Right. And it's taken from a line in Cool Hand Luke. You know, you got your mind right, Luke. Um, and it's really, this one is really just a message to myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
everything in it I'm just saying to myself. So that's right. it. coming in thank you this was fun thank you, thank you. so bill Stamey on band camp yep. there he is and what's the name of the collection again get up get up yep. okay well thank you thank you you bet and if you have something you'd like to share get in touch with me lorenzo at podcast open mic that's mic at gmail.com and we'll talk again soon <laughs>